my name is Tracy Crouch and I'm a sitting MP, a former sports minister and now a senior advisor to The Playbook, a game-changing agency specialising in communications, campaigns and content. I'm delighted to welcome you to the brand new Playbook podcast where I'll be speaking to some of the most game-changing people I know from the worlds of brand, sports and culture. Joining me today is a man who has the ability to make you laugh while striking fear into your beating heart at the same time. He is the long-time panellist on BBC Television's Have I Got News For You. He's been editor of Private Eye since 1986. And according to the internet, so it must be true, he is the most sued man in England's legal history. My guest is, of course, Ian Hislop. And I'm here in the wonderful Private Eye offices. Thank you for being on the podcast, Ian. Um, It's a pleasure. I felt I owed it to you (laughs) since I've been very rude about you recently. Well, actually, I don't think you have been as rude to me as you have to some of my colleagues. But uh, (laughs) keep trying harder. (laughs) So is that true? Are you England's most sued man? I certainly was. um, And I was in the Guinness Book of Records for ages. Um, Then they did change a lot of the libel laws. Um, So I think um, the whole volume of, of being sued has gone down. I mean, I've got three or four legal letters on my desk. So, I mean, don't panic. It hasn't gone away. But I don't know if I'm the most sued anymore. I was going to say, do you keep some sort of kind of bar chart or a graph of oh, yeah, you know, successful there. lawsuits versus unsuccessful lawsuits? Well, at one stage we had a, a tally of, um, um, I think I've been sued something like 41 times. And the number of times I've won in court is one. Uh, oh. Which is not a brilliant record. No, I was going to say, so as Epitasco, you know, I fought the law and occasionally the law won, or I won, you know. Yeah, not for me. No, it's the same, I think Boris can say the same at the moment. Yes, but it's rather rather more important in his case. And I, I'm, and I accepted the verdict, so... Yes, <laughs> I think he respected the verdict. He respected the verdict and then said they were wrong, <laughs> which is an interesting tautology, like most things going on in Boris's head. They're inexplicable. I couldn't possibly comment as a loyal backbencher in his government. There's no such thing as a loyal backbencher or, the, or a government. <laughs> At the moment. So I was inspired um, to ask uh, if you would do this podcast after a friend of mine posted in a WhatsApp group that I'm in. Um, is there a worse text message to receive than one that says, did you know you're in private eye this week? That's very flattering. Well, as it happens, all 15 other people in that group replied, no, there is nothing worse. And actually, amusingly, because it is a group full of politicos, um, that I think it was in the last edition, I was able to send in one train journey two text messages saying, hey, X, did you know you're in private eye this week? So, I mean, did you ever ever imagine that your content would be that petrifying? Um No, I suppose when I joined, um, you know, the magazine had been going for quite a long time and already had a pretty good reputation. I mean, my first job was not to blow it um, and not to be the editor who was sort of incredibly useless and no one cared anymore. So um, I knew what I was taking on, but I'm always very flattered. And when I find out they're still in the city using what they call the private eye test is, would you like to read about what you've just done in private eye? And that is an indication you know, if you're on a remuneration committee or you're you're tipping some shares, would you like to read about this in private eye? If you wouldn't, then don't do it. Um, and it's still a good test. I, I think it's a pretty fair test. I mean, <laughs> it's the investigative journalism that really stands private eye out from the rest. Is there any particular stories that you think, yes, absolutely, we made them through what we wrote to change the ways 
uh, the, the, the way that they did things. Yes, I mean, you know, the I mean, I I would say, for example, tax avoidance, which was literally, you know, there's a there was a senior tax um, inspector, civil servant, who we persuaded to join the magazine to come over um, to the dark side about ten years ago, called Richard Brooks, and his agenda of making international companies actually pay tax <laughs> and pointing out that the revenue was just letting them off. Um, has gone from essentially his bedroom to, you know, item two at G20, which is a pretty good story. Um, so I think the financial stuff we've done in the last 10 years, PFI, for example, you know, we have literally spent 10 years saying, why is the public taking the risk and the private sector taking all the money? Now government says, you, these PFIs, you know, they just don't work. It's extraordinary. And we go, yeah, it is extraordinary. Um, and so- we said it 15 years ago. <laughs> if yeah, only somebody got- had read the, the, the magazine. And, you know, I mean, this morning in our editorial meeting, I said, oh, I've just noticed a story that says um, one in five um, uh, uh, murders is committed by uh, someone on probation who hasn't been supervised properly. Um, didn't we mention that outsourcing um, the probation service was going to result in this. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, I remember that. So, I mean, there's a lot of stories I'm proud of. Um, and I'm, I alternate between thinking, well, it's great that we got that right, and then despair thinking, oh, why <laughs> why didn't you do something? Yeah, I can understand the despair. I mean, I, I, I'm not a subscriber because I like to treat myself with buying a copy. <laughs> yes, good. Of support, the, support the high street. Um, it is actually something slightly bizarre in that uh, actually on a you know Thursday afternoon with a crazy week in Parliament, kind of just go and curl up on the train home, uh, uh, hopefully southeastern running on time. I know it's a pet hate of yours as well. Yes. Um, Again, you you keep coming up with phrases that may make no sense. Southeastern running on time. I mean. It's- it's never going to happen. Um, but, you know, there is something nice to read it. But I, I actually, I do sit there and I think, how did they find that out? How how do you know these? I mean, how big is the team? Um, well, I mean, Paul Foote, who, the late Paul Foote, was our best and greatest investigative journalist. He, he was always asked, he said, how do you find things out? And he said, well, um, what happens is that people ring me up and then they tell me stuff. That's it. Um, it isn't rocket science. Um, you have to uh, persuade people that you, you know, you won't sell them down the river, and that you'll listen to what they say and take it seriously, and you'll put it in. But basically, it's um, we have a large readership of people who know what's going on in their own worlds, and they tell us, <laughs> and um, that's how we get our information. And it is, you know, again, it's a sort of great model for all other walks of life, is lots of people know what they're talking about. So it is worth listening it to is, them. It is. It is. Paying attention. Yeah. Well, you know, our medical column is run by, you know, a pissed off doctor and his friends. Uh, <laughs> the energy column is written by someone who works in the energy industry who thinks this doesn't make any sense. I mean... It all just follows. Yeah. It naturally follows. I mean, you were, we first actually met... Um, when we were both campaigning against Leveson type yes. reforms. As it happens, you know, I was one of the few MPs that are on yeah. your side in this. But I think, can you explain to listeners um, of this podcast why you felt so strongly about it? And that had we had the clamp down that the likes of Hacked Off wanted, do you think it, what do you think it would have meant for your content? Oh, well, I mean, I think we would have less and less to say. 
I mean, the, the point I was always trying to make at Leveson, and, and you know, point he, he accepted. In fact, I mean, Private Eye was one of the few publications that came out well um, from Leveson, was just to say that, you know, you may not like the look of um, uh, the, the popular, the free press, but it, it's not pretty, but it is free. And state regulation is a very bad idea. Um, and, you know, you look at the other countries where... Um, the press is very well regulated. Turkey, good. China, very well regulated. You know, Russia, it's terrifically well regulated. But <laughs> it means nobody knows anything. Um, and in the end, that seemed to me more important. And we have, you know, again, the evidence level, we have very strict laws about libel. We have laws about privacy. We have laws about telephoto lenses. Applying the law is what was necessary, yeah. not um, uh, inventing new ways for the state to regulate the press. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think one of the issues that we have, though, is that there are very different sort of kind of rules at the moment for the Internet age um, than for the traditional press. Yes, I mean, challenges. the Internet is barely regulated at all, so you can read absolutely any old rubbish on, online. Um, and people do, and they say, well, I notice you haven't run this story about Hillary Clinton murdering people. And I say, well, that's because it's not true. It's made up by someone in their bedroom in Wisconsin. Um, you know, really, you mustn't believe this stuff. I don't want to be sued for the 42nd time. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. But, yeah, and there was a problem with Leveson is that he just did newspapers. But, you know, you read Prince Harry's statement and uh, he says, basically, I don't want to be criticised by the press. Well, that's not how it works. Uh. <laughs> Don't do anything wrong then. Um, but, but just talking about the sort of kind of digital age, you know, it's a time when papers and magazines, a lot of your competitors have gone digital. Yep. Um, but you haven't, and no. you've maintained this, you know, ele well, complete success, really. I was going to say element of success, but your subscribers are going up. Your circulation is yeah. higher than that of the spectator in the new statement. So despite the fact that you haven't got digital, so what, what is it? Is well, it's essentially saying to people that um, uh, this costs money. I mean, journalism uh, is uh, worth paying for. Um, it's not worth a lot. <laughs> I'm only asking two quid. Um, but I'm not giving it to you for free. And I was inspired. There's a wonderful French magazine called Le Canon Enchaîné. And if you go to their website, it just says, buy the magazine. That's it. <laughs> um, and that's what they mean. And I'm not quite that bold. Um, well, your but, Twitter feed is quite that bold. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I'm saying I need to pay journalists. I need to pay people who are any good. I mean, it's quite difficult, journalism, you know, um, and writing stuff that is about complex issues that's worth reading and then wrapping it up in a, in a, a bundle of jokes. Um, you've got to pay people um, to do it. And uh, I want to pay people. I think it's a, a perfectly reasonable um, to pay people for what they do. And I think it's very unreasonable um, for any generation, including the younger one, to think, well, I should have this for free. Because um, you can't have it for free. You certainly can't have the eye for free. No, absolutely. And, and actually, but, but in part of the success, from my view, is that your content and your format has stayed the same for as long as I can remember. Is this done on purpose? Yes. Um, <laughs> obviously it's largely done out of laziness uh but no it is done on purpose and people always i mean we are continually told why don't you go digital you need to change this uh young people don't want to read this stuff actually if you look at our demographic um it continually refreshes at the bottom end because young people amazingly are just as clever as anyone else and are perfectly capable of focusing for more than 200 words um it's just 
if you underestimate your audience, you'll end up with no audience. Well, at the Playbook, we like to talk about being a game-changing communications company. Do you think you're, in fact, being game-changing by not changing? Yeah, no, I think we're game-continuing. I think that would be our motto. the double bluff. (laughs) So just actually turning briefly to what Playbook does, communication campaigns and content, yeah. um, surely a measure of success would be that they don't end up in private eye. Yes, I mean, I, if they're never written about again uh, by us, then I would say that's a triumph. Uh, are there some things that you write that you just sit there and think, oh, that's just too easy? Um, Obviously, the current parliament is yeah, exempt from that question. Pretty much. Um, I mean, when the Prime Minister is spending his afternoons having technology lessons from a a blonde American entrepreneur. I mean, I do think, you know, maybe this job is getting easier. Uh, and I mean, then she comes over and is interviewed by Piers Morgan. I mean, it just does get funnier. Uh, so, yes, sometimes the job's too easy. We're just teeing it up for you. Yes. This is, we're doing it yeah. out of duty to you. It's yeah, no, of, you know, it, it I, is very kind of you. I'm slightly embarrassed that, you know, the one industry that's doing well at the moment is the satire industry, um, you know, which is, is sort of probably not very patriotic of us well this is the week that have i got news for you yeah no we're back again it's not much to talk about is there very very little the two leaders of the world looking at impeachment great (laughs) well i'm very much looking forward to tuning in although by the time this goes out you'll probably be about halfway through the series and then there might be someone else as prime minister by then might even be you god (laughs) government of national unity under tracy as as you wrote in your private eye (laughs) that won't be happening because i'm doing some work elsewhere Um, you're very busy yeah i'm very busy um we're actually nearing the end of our time but i've been asking some quick fire questions of all my guests apparently it's what all podcasters do um so um yes are you ready yeah i'm ready poised yeah um, actually, I'm rather amused by the first question because you do have this reputation of kind of uh, not really knowing a lot about sport, although I've yeah. always suspected that that's not entirely true. So. I don't know anything about football, that's all. So my first question that I've been asking all my guests is, what is your favourite sporting memory? Um, I, I saw um, Andy Murray win Wimbledon. Oh, wow. First time. I actually saw him win the Olympic gold there as well. I'm a big tennis fan. Um, you and John Burko? Uh Yes. Um, though it's one of the few things that link us, I think. Anyway, no, I play a lot too. Um, so you and John Burko. I'd like to see this. Yeah. This is like the post speakership. I bet he's no good. <laughs> I'm not, like, hey, we've still got three weeks. You know, yeah. I'd like to be called in a debate. I'm not saying anything. Right. No, I've no idea whether he's any good or not. But uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so um, that that was it. I mean, and um, the Argentinian player. Um, uh, at that Olympics, um, was I think he was third um, after um, um, when Murray won the gold, yeah. he won the bronze. And at the end, the two of them um, shook hands and then put a Union Jack around them. And so there were Argentinian and British fans in the audience applauding both of them. And I thought, yeah, this is this is what sport can do. I'll tell you a very funny story about the Argentinian sports minister one day. Oh, good. But it's not for broadcast. <laughs> so, good, it's probably less heartwarming. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it will raise an eyebrow too. Um, the second question, what was, yeah. your, what was your best day at work? Was My it, best day at work? The day that you won your court case. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that was good. The, the one court case we won. No, I think probably the... Um, 
was the best day of work. There's so many good days at work. I was going to say, this doesn't strike me as a place where you wake up in the morning and think, oh, oh I really don't God, want to go I to work. I can't come in. No, I, th- I think I think when we had, uh, we were taken a couple of years ago um, to the Court of Appeal on a, uh, a confidentiality case, um, which lasted about nine months and cost about a million and a half quid. And the Court of Appeal found for us, which was incredibly exciting because it was, it was new <laughs> and quite rare and it was a great win. Had you braced yourself for a loss and then it was sort of kind of that moment of kind of like, oh. Yeah, I thought, I I thought there's some mistake here. <laughs> Your honour. <laughs> um, which person, dead or alive, would you like to go for a drink with? Um, God, that's a very good question. You can tell. Be a journalist. <laughs> yeah, you can tell what a misanthrope I am. I can't think of anybody. <laughs> Obviously, John Burke. Yeah, about tennis. Who, who would I like to go for a drink with? Um, You've probably been for a drink with most people that you'd like to go for a drink with, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've invited them to lunch. Um, no, I can't think of anybody. Fair enough. I'll come back to it if I can. Um, what brand could you not do without? Are you a, like a brand junkie? Um... No, I mean, I'm very keen on brands. I don't do own brand. Um, I think Heinz tomato sauce, pretty difficult to do without that. Marmite, I'd find it very difficult to do I without. I love the fact that you love Marmite. <laughs> because some people might consider you a Marmite character. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's it's a metaphor for my life. <laughs> That's the end <laughs> Um Obviously, we're a campaign sort of company, but yeah. um, and so we like to know what other people are noticing in other campaigns. So, yes, is there been a, a good campaign that you've seen recently um, that's made you sort of kind of notice them? Well, I think Extinction Rebellion's playing oh, yeah, a blinder at the moment. Uh, to be absolutely honest, um, and once you've got the prime minister attacking you for wearing a nose ring or um, uh, being um, in a tent, um, you're on your way, really. Although I did actually look up the carbon footprint of a tent, and right. a, a single tent has the equivalent plastic of 8,700 straws. Really? And to manufacture a 3.5 kilogram uh, tent, tent. Uh, is the equivalent of 25 kilograms of CO2. You're obviously in the, in the news industry. Well, how do you consume your news? Um, obviously, it's changing all the time. I can see your pile of newspapers. <laughs> I read a lot of newspapers. I read a lot of newsprint. Um, uh, I don't read a huge amount online, partly because I don't want to have to keep reading every 10 minutes to see if it's no longer true what was just said. Um, you can go slightly mad in a news cycle, and uh, distance is a great help. Um, people say, you know, it's absolutely brilliant, we got this story first, but you thought, well, you didn't get any detail, and you got the emphasis wrong, and in fact, it doesn't matter. So, uh, why why did you bother? So no, I'm not I'm not obsessed. Um, social media. No. Well, I was in the um, the the members tea room recently, and I because I'm interested in sport, I always actually start my paper at the back. And somebody said, "Why do you start the paper at the back?" And I said, "Well, two reasons. One, I like sport, and uh, secondly, because um, by the time I have finished reading this particular section, all those facts are still true. Yeah. Whereas by by the time I finish the front half of a newspaper, yeah. everything has already changed. Yeah. So it's already out of date by the yeah. time you finish consuming it. And it's particularly true at the moment, since not only does the news change all the time, but nobody knows what's happening. I mean, including the people who are at the centre of it. So, I mean, their view is about as limited as one's own. So it is just much better to wait. 
Yeah. What will happen today? Well, don't know. Let's have a see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell me later. Um, and by that point, it'll be out of date anyway. Final question. Yes. Ridiculous question. Yeah. If you had to choose, would you rather rugby tackle Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> um, did you play rugby at school, Ian? No, yeah, did. I did. My father played for the London Scottish, actually, for ages. I mean, I'm quite a big rugby fan, too. I'm really enjoying um, the World Cup, which surprised me, because um, I wasn't sure about holding it in Japan. Um, they love it. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, it's great when the host team sort of beats Ireland, then, then, then you're yeah. away. Um, sorry, I can see <laughs> off air um, someone... But it's not just because it was Ireland, it was just... Because you team. didn't want it to be like Italy, where you just think... You know, in the home nations, this is going to be a bit boring, this game. And once they're out there, all just disappear. Um, But actually, the whole thing's been great. So um, if the aim is... I mean, Boris is enormous. I mean, and getting vaster. You know, the brief slim period is over. Uh, If the aim is to make him fall over, then obviously I'd much rather get Boris down. Jeremy, I think, would be easier to get down. He's. I know we're meant to think he's... He's 70 and Superman, but he's looking a bit frail. I reckon I could probably (laughs) tackle him. I think it might be a bit mean to to tackle Jeremy. Thank you for having us in your amazing offices. Um, It's a pleasure. I would just like to explain to listeners that I can assure you that the private eye offices smell exactly like you think a traditional newspaper office uh, should smell like. Um, And, of course, you've got the squeaky chair to go with it. Squeaky Um, chairs. um, and, um, And there is a computer, though. I can, I can see I, I'm not sure it's been used. <laughs> um, my thanks to Ian Hislop for joining me on the brand new Playbook podcast and I hope that listeners have enjoyed it and if you want to learn more about the Playbook then search for the Playbook agency on all social channels. Thank you, Ian. Brilliant. Brilliant.